With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part of the murderer's row of ball talk. Here's ESPN senior columnist and podcaster Buster Olney on the ride with Royce. Buster, the uh, struggling twins are coming home this weekend, and it's going to be 75 degrees on Sunday. We can't believe it. It might be too hot. Too hot? Yeah, it might be too hot. We're going to have sun and 70 <laughs> degrees. We missed the, bliz- miss the blizzard. They're actually going to play some uh, games at home. It's base- Baseball season has finally arrived in the North Country. Yeah, boy, how about that? With After a record-setting number of uh, postponements around Major League Baseball in the month of April, um, and I'm sure that the you know the Twins people like the Indians people, like the, the Tigers people, like the Yankees people, want to find out what's real and what's not because after a while you know saying well it's the weather doesn't really fly (laughs) no the uh, twins right now have some big problems in that lineup and two of the biggest are sano hitting 191 and logan morrison hitting about 50 and uh they had him uh, they had him pegged in for hitting third and fifth they've dropped morrison down to about seventh now but uh, Miguel is still hitting third and just striking out i i think the uh stat is if you take away pitchers, he is striking out at the highest rate in the history of Major League Baseball. It's unbelievable, uh, especially when you consider where he advanced to last year, and you do wonder about uh, where he's at physically. I mean, I saw him in spring training. Uh, you saw him in spring training. And, you know, a lot of time, for right now, for example, Albert Pujols this winter was actually able to do for the first time in a long time some serious conditioning work because he didn't have surgery he wasn't rehabilitating something and Miguel Sano as big as he is he didn't have an opportunity to sort of have that full off season and you wonder if in some respects his body is still back in December and January because he when I saw him in spring it uh it definitely jumped out of me that this is someone who'd not going into the season in optimal condition no no he's in his he was in the 290s when spring training started but the the the, the one thing you wanted to know is if if indeed if he had been able to work out uh, yeah. you know they would wonder about that but he just but it's also the approach, uh, you know, the, as big and strong as he is, watch Aaron Judge hit. There's nothing wrong with hitting a ball on the outside half of the plate into the stands in uh, right center field in Yankee Stadium. But he won't do it. He just keeps hacking, taking that big old cut, trying to pull the ball. Well, doesn't it feel like with a lot of the players that you just sort of wait for the light bulb to go on? And I don't mean that at all in a demeaning way. I mean, there are some great hitters, and, you know, whether it's a conversation with a coach or – uh, you know, conversation with a teammate or some small adjustment, 
all of a sudden those things can happen. It was, what, last year, last May, when Giancarlo Stanton was striking out all oh, yeah. the time, and then all of a sudden he closed his stance a little bit, and boom, he winds up hitting 59 homers and winning the MVP in the National League. Uh, Didi Gregorius this year, the oh. Yankees, suddenly going from this you know, wild free swinger to now he takes walks and he's got a you know two to one walk to strikeout ratio and he's hitting balls into the stands. Uh, I had a conversation at the end of spring training with Mike Trout about uh, you know how he sort of learned how to deal with high fastballs, which was his kryptonite. Uh, and you know he, he cut his strikeout rate down by fifty percent. George Springer last year, the Astros made up his mind: I'm not going to strike out anymore. And it feels like when you watch the no hit. That light bulb needs to come on, however it's going to happen. So that Yankee lineup, if the Tories kid is everything they say he is, yep. and uh, Andujar at third base uh, continues uh, looking like this, and uh, I had I talking to Susan Waldman the other day, and Susan told me that uh, A-Rod was telling her about Andujar a couple of years ago. Uh, that could be quite some lineup as soon as uh, Giancarlo figures it out again. Well, and with all due respect to Stanton and to Brett Gardner and to Didi Gregorius, to me, the absolute foundation of that lineup is Aaron Judge oh. and how he is progressing as a hitter. Look, I think we sort of typecast him in the way that we thought about him last year. Okay, here's this big guy, 6'7", 282, the biggest position player in the history of baseball. Uh, he's going to hit a lot of home runs. He's going to strike out. And what we missed was what a technician he is and what a... In some respects, he's uh, with all, and I, and I don't mean to suggest he's already a Hall of Famer, but he actually is a, there's a lot of Wade Boggs in him. There's a, someone who refuses to swing outside of the strike zone at pitches. And I do think he's having an impact on some of those other guys. Patrick, coming into today, Aaron Judge had 28 hits and 20 walks. He's on pace to reach base 350 times this year. He's got an on-base percentage of about 480. <laughs> At the end of spring training, when I talked to Aaron Boone, uh, the Yankees' new manager, and I asked him, he said, who, did you, who have you learned about the most this spring? And without hesitation, he paused. He goes, no question, uh, it's, it's Aaron Judge. And, and I mentioned to him about uh, how he has a command of the strike zone, and, and Boone looked at me, and he goes, it's incredible. And I said, yeah, even in a bad year, you could see him having a 360 on-base percentage. And he said, I think you're selling him short. He said, in a bad year, he might be a 380, 390 guy. In a good year, which is what it looks like so far this year, uh, we're seeing a guy who might have an on-base percentage of 480. It's it's remarkable to watch. A hundred years ago, uh, Gene Mock was trying to describe the uh, uh, meltdown of a twin starting pitcher who had been good the year before. And he told me he's trying to throw the ball where the where the bat can't reach it. Uh, there's nowhere you can throw the ball where the judge bat can't reach it uh, uh, without him saying, "Okay, that's a ball." I mean, you can't get him to, you know, he can he can hit a ball halfway out in the other batter's box if he wanted to. I would think with that uh, size of his. And here's the other thing too is that <laughs> I do think, and I think you'll agree with me that there are hitters who. Uh, eventually earn so much respect from the umpires for yes. their interpretation of the strike zone. Aaron Judge is headed down that path. When you watch Joey Votto of the Cincinnati Reds, uh, you can see when he takes the pitch right on the edge, the umpire is looking at it and saying, you know what, if Joey Votto thinks it's a ball, it must be a ball. And I think the judge is such a great understanding of the strike zone that he's going to get that benefit of the doubt. And, 
And look, if uh, I mean, we saw with Ted Williams, who's the greatest hitter in the history of baseball at doing this, if he goes through his career refusing to swing at pitches outside of the zone, uh, and he just maintains discipline uh, and swings and only pitches within the zone, this is someone who's going to be a high hand back hitter, I think, much more than we realized last year. Uh, another great game from Verlander today for Houston. Uh, about two years ago, we were wondering if uh, if the uh, stuff was going a little bit, if we'd seen the greatest uh, he'd ever be. As is it, uh, and then he, you know, even before he went to Houston last year, he's pitching pretty good. What do what do what do he go back and find? You know, or did he just get command again, or what? Well. The first and foremost thing, and Justin, uh, you know, and I have had long conversations about this, about how uh, he had a series of injuries in a couple of years, and it was during that time when he had surgery to repair a, a core injury that he learned about his body and about flexibility and about how to train himself that way. And Justin is obsessive about being great, and so he threw himself into that work and maintain, uh, regain some of the velocity that he lost. And he told me a story about how uh, he threw a pitch in spring training, and he turned around and looked at the scoreboard, and it was back to 96. And mm. he told me the story, he got goosebumps. Because he <laughs> said, I can remember the feeling of, wow, it's still in there. Like, I still got it. And the other thing, too, is, is that a few years ago, uh, Brad Osmus, uh, then the Tigers manager, called Justin into his office in Fenway Park and basically said, look, you can't bully hitters anymore with your stuff. You're going to have to pitch the scouting reports. And so Justin dove into that uh, in a way that he hadn't before, and he uses analytics. And, uh, you know, his big hero in, in, uh, in baseball has always been Nolan Ryan because, as he said to me, the fact that Nolan Ryan could be a power pitcher all the way through the end of his career was something that Justin respected. It looks like Justin's going to be on the same trajectory during his career today. Uh, 192nd career win. I don't know if you agree with me, but uh, I think he's pretty much close to uh, oh, clinching a, his uh, he, induction to the Hall of Fame someday. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer. Yep. You know, I, I mean, with the number of innings he pitches and stuff like that in the modern times, there's no doubt about it. Hey, the other, I think we talked about this the other day. The thing I loved about him is that he'll get you out at 93 for five innings if you let him. <laughs> then, but, but if he has to, he'll go get 97 again if he, if he has to. So he, he's an old-time pitcher in that way. He doesn't, he doesn't give you all he's got if he's getting you out with less than his best. No, in an era in which they basically ask the starting pitchers to be sprinters, throw as hard as, they can, as you possibly can from the first pitch, and then when you start to tire, we'll come and get you in the fifth inning. Uh, Justin is old school. Um, you know, and I was thinking about this today. You know, you and I, a lot of times we measure starting pitchers and the quality of their career, and this is not the only metric we use, but by wins. So if you could say, hey, you know, uh, Justin Verlander could get 250 wins, that puts him in a place. I really think within five to ten years, uh, pitchers who care about wins are, are going to basically disappear. Uh, so that means that guys like Verlander, like Max Scherzer, like Madison Bumgarner, like CeCe Sabathia, who got two thirty number 238 last night, those guys are dinosaurs, and they still care about pitching through the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings. Uh, tell me about this Atlanta kid that's pitching tonight. Ronald Acuna Jr., a left fielder for the Braves. He's in the lineup. Oh, I uh, mean batting, playing. Yeah, not pitching. Yeah, batting six. He is. Uh, going to be base, one of baseball's next great superstars. In spring training, Ralph Gar, who played with Hank Aaron, 
really opened some eyes when he told reporters, look, this guy reminds me of Aaron. And I will tell you this, I, the first time <laughs> I saw him this spring, they were playing an exhibition game against the Blue Jays, and I was talking to their manager, Brad Snitker, and I wasn't even looking at the cage, and the sound that he made, uh, Acuna made when he hit a ball, made me like turn my head like, Whoa, wow, what, who, who hit that? And then later in that game, he had a ground ball to shortstop, uh, routine ground ball, I was sort of half paying attention, then you're watching the guy run to first base, and you're like, oh my God, he's a five-tool player, uh, and he's someone who's going to hit for power, he's going to steal bases, he's going to play a great outfield. Last year in the minors, 44 steals and 23 homers, and he was playing against guys five, six, year old, six years older than he is. I can't wait to watch him play. My son's favorite team is the Braves, and he's ca- planted in front of our couch right now, getting ready for Acuna's. <laughs> First to bat in the big league. Oh, man, we were talking about TBS today. All we need for this is Skip Carey, man. Bring back Skip Carey to do the game. Uh, the Braves, uh, my favorite ever, Skip Carey. I was uh, reminding these guys today, there's 1,500 people in Fulton County Stadium one night, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, if you promise to support our loyal sponsors, I give you permission to change channels. <laughs> he was, he, of course, you grew up a little bit with Skip, too, so uh, you couldn't you couldn't beat those Braves games on TBS back in the oh, day man. when there was nobody at the game. So, and it's amazing how many how uh, you know you talk to uh, you know older players now and you ask them about sort of the formative experiences in baseball. How many of them cite Skip Carey as the voice that they heard? <laughs> well, Fraley always told me the story about how uh, uh, they were one night September game. They came down there and uh, who was the catcher? One of their one of their backup catchers said to him, "Hey, what were you guys laughing about up there in the press box?" <laughs> You know, they had like 400 people in the stands. Wow. But they were on the Braves. (laughs) All right, Buster, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Patrick. All right, the great Buster Olney. Uh, Next week, Kelly and Kirchin. Can't beat that tandem unless you throw Cottonoli on them, and that's pretty good, too. Now, Joe and Pat present Sports Talk's Person of the Day. Maybe I have to never try that again at this stage because I was exhausted late in the show. But I can promise you this. I did close my eyes during a Sweeney interview for a minute, and it was on TV. And that's become this big bone of contention because I guess everything we do on the show does. But I can promise you, as you can go listen to the interview, I was never asleep. I promise you. So, And I'll promise I'll never close my eyes again. Nor will I come in without sleeping because my wife says, you can't do that anymore. So... Oh. Now, uh, we went, uh, Manny Hill and I went back and looked at the, uh, not Manny Hill, the goat and I went back and looked mm-hmm. at the, uh, looked at the tape and, uh, not only did Mike close his eyes, Mike Francesa, but it, the head almost hit the, yeah. you know, he looked like a drunk who was going to bounce his head off the table <laughs> waiting for dinner to And show then all up, of a right? sudden he heard Mike and then his head Mike, shot yeah, he up popped and, right up. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, it was very, it was, it was a very emotional time in New York City. On December 15th, uh, December 15th, 2017, 8.32 p.m., Neil Best, uh, writing for Newsday, their TV guy, been there a long time. Mike Francesa closed out his 30-year run on WFAN on Friday with a heartfelt monologue that lasted about 20 minutes, during which he thanked fans, colleagues, his family, and others. He finished with a message to listeners saying, I will miss you. I thank you, 
And from the bottom of my heart, I love you. Goodbye. Wow. Ah, uh, that was December 15th. Very emotional. Warms the heart, doesn't now, it? Now, this might be the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> <laughs> but Neil Best today. Mike Francesa is returning to WFAN <laughs> and will return May 1st, yep. uh, which is next Tuesday, right? Uh, next yes, Tuesday, next Tuesday, May 1st. Francesa, apparently, after 30 years at WFAN, it's been this long try at retirement, four <laughs> months. He's been harassing them for a couple of months that he wants back in. So He just uh, has so much more to say. <laughs> yes, he does. Now, he used to do like five hours, right? Yes. He did five, and then he was mad. He and Mad Dog. Who oh, the 30 hating. for 30 on those they, two is spectacular. They hated each other. Yes. But, uh, uh, and by the way, that's a pair to draw to. I'm not sure who is my favorite in that two, two duo. So. Oh, it's easily Francesa, because you cannot root for uh, Russo. No, no, because he's too loud. But anyway, uh, it says the New York Post reported Tuesday night WFAN station director Mark Chernoff, as well as talent at the station, wants no part of a Francesa return. But once Francesa said he was willing to take what the Post said was a significant pay reduction from his previous They were all in. (laughs) Top executives at WFAN's parent station made the call above Chernoff's head. That's fantastic. So is he going going back to his his regular time slot? He's going to be on somebody... What was his time slot? One to six or something? It was midday. I can't yeah, no, remember. It was yeah. one. It was five hours, I think. Well, the people who filled in for him, there's three of them that they had. Who are they? I, I got to look. I, I don't know if I got the names or not. Chris Carlin, Maggie Gray, and Bart Scott. Bart Scott must be the old football, the football player. player. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, they, they were uh, in the power chair. They were doing it. Well, now they're going to have a two-hour show, one to three. And... Uh, it, and uh, Frances is going to be on from three to six thirty. You know, he's back. It's a shame too that the powers that be at this place didn't know this information because we could have finally filled that coveted twelve to one spot that we've been looking Francesa. for. Yeah, we could have had the big guy. That's right. We could have. Uh, yeah, we, we could have put a mic in his house, and uh, we could. Uh, I'm going to get yelled at for that uh, cheap shot. Well, by the way, Mike Francesa, he's coming back. You know, this is one of the. This is one of the most feeble. Attempts at retirement in history. Right? Let's see, Royce. I've only threatened it. Shelby, I've never, I've Bernard. Only, I've only, yeah, yeah, all three Bernard, of you frauds. Bernard was gonna, Bernard was gonna retire, and now he's on seven hours. A oh, day. they he's said no a, more show, Tom. A, Tom, you need more show. show. We don't have enough. He's doing seven hours a day. You know, I at least. Have the good taste to do it for the money. That's right. Yeah, that guy's got. You have standards. That guy's got a room. <laughs> he got a room. It's money. Now, Bernard, let's start ripping him. He why? He used about all his money in his. Oh, okay, his yeah. Let's rip him about that. Yeah. Retirement. Okay. He used to when he was the voice of United Airlines and everything. You know, yeah. he was national. He was one of the great voiceover guys. He used to do his show. Get on a plane to Chicago, fly down, get picked up at the airport, go downtown, Mr. One Take, then United would say, okay, we want you to sound sincere here. He'd walk in, do the ad, two, three ads Boom, for him. Done. He'd do a couple other national ads. 
he'd be on a five o'clock flight home and he'd had made fifty thousand dollars, you know. Boy. He's doing seven hours a day. Boy, that's a far He's, cry from what know, we're doing here. Isn't he ought to have a lobotomy. He um, ought to go in there with uh, Miguel Sano and have a two for one. You know, uh, <laughs> really quick, back to Francesa. My favorite bit ever. Him sli- but he's saying he... About the oh, eyes he's completely he's lying. He's falling asleep he's, yeah, on the about 15 different but times. the right? best was Deadspin was really the first to kind of make it a chapter of uh, their yes. online publication, just ripping him daily. Yes. And one of the best bits they ever did was a few years ago, because he ran a lot of calls being on oh, the yeah, air. That was mostly that, calls, right? So he'd have, they'd have a... a you know, uh, an entire group of guys that would call into his show around this time of the year with NFL draft questions, asking about players that didn't exist, <laughs> and he would give out information. Well, some guy today said, "What are you going to do your mock draft?" And I said, "I don't know, thirty-two college football players." But I the guy know. would call up and say, "Hey, what do you think, Manny yeah, Hill from yeah, uh, Texas A&M?" And he'd say, "Well, I like it. You know, he's a good lineman." Or he you would know, always say. You know who should send us money, don't you? No. Francesa. Joe, Joe and I. Sure. Because the first program director at WFAN, right. Scott Meyer, who hired Joe and I to make, after we got fired the first time, he brought us back on September in 83. And he so admired our work <laughs> on uh, the, uh, the Saturday night, Saturday, no, Monday night sports talk. Mm-hmm. And then Saturdays that he made a, he went to a 24-hour sports day. So then here's what we'll do. When we send the certificate to Francesa for Sports <laughs> yeah, Person of the Day, it's also going to include a bill. Uh, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's like me with Rookie. I tell him, I gave you the name Rookie. You should give me $20 every time. Every time. You. Every time you see me, give me $20. <laughs> Except then I don't know how many jobs he'd need. All right, we'll be back. Johnny Hyde, did you get yourself a coonskin hat when Disney brought I, back uh, Croc, Davy Crockett in the early 60s or not? I wasn't that. I'm not quite that old. Okay. Uh, 50, I was a, 50, well, you weren't old enough for 54, 55, I, I but they kept born, bringing yeah. him back about every three years, so yeah, it was so popular. I, I didn't get one. Yeah, I had one. I wish I had one. I'd wear it to work. You, you remember the great uh, the great remake by the Kentucky Headhunters? That song about 1991 or so. Oh, oh they, did, they remade the song. Oh yeah, they had a, bi- a okay. big hit with it. it okay. was, it's pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. But uh, as I said, I looked it up. They had the last. They it was only scheduled for three one hour episodes, uh-huh. and they killed them off at the Alamo. And then it was so popular, they brought them back the next fall with uh, two more episodes. <laughs> but they. You know, post-dated, uh, predated him, I guess. I was really confused as a kid because Fess Parker was also Daniel, Daniel Boone. Boone. Yes, that was that was very confusing. So your mind at that age doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. Well, he's Davy yeah. Crockett, yeah, not right. Daniel how he, Boone. How did he do that? But, uh, <laughs> this. It was fantastic. America was gripped with Davy, I'll tell you. <laughs> this update sponsored by Concordia University. Get on track to a successful business career with Concordia University St. Paul. Learn online or on campus. Learn more about their business degrees at online.csp.edu. Timberwolves and Rockets, uh, game of five down in Houston tonight. Of course, the Rockets lead that series three games to one. A victory for Houston means uh, the season would be over for the Timberwolves. Uh, by the way, not everyone on the side of the Timberwolves. Former President George H.W. Bush has left intensive care, and a statement from his spokesperson says 
As good as he feels now, he's more focused on the Houston Rockets closing out their series <laughs> against the Minnesota hey, Timberwolves. He got no chance when recently widowed ex-president who's oh, about yeah. 103 wants him to <laughs> wants him to get beat. And, and we got guys we don't. And we, half of Minnesota doesn't want Tibbs to have the right. satisfaction well, of winning. There's no joy. No joy. <laughs> Twins still out on the East Coast trying to get a win at Yankee Stadium. Twins send Lance Lynn to the mound tonight. Yankees counter with Sonny Gray. Your lineup, Dozier, Maurer, Sano, Rosario, Kepler, Escobar, Morrison, who's DHing tonight, Robbie Grossman in right field, and Jason Castro. You know, when I see a situation like the Bushes are going through now where Barbara died and then mm-hmm. now George, it looks like George oh, could almost be on the way out. Oh, no. It reminds me of how much... I, I hope I don't pass away because I think my wife would die of a broken heart, uh, you know, fairly, <laughs> fairly soon, fairly soon. I, I think, I think, I think it, the grief would just get to her, don't you? I envision her going on the kind of party that would make Charlie Sheen blush. <laughs> Thank God! I'm oh, the free! Poor the poor girl. What would she do without me? <laughs> From the uh, Twins division, the Indians have finalized a deal with outfielder Melky Cabrera. Melky! It is. Melky. It's a minor league deal, but he's expected to be up quick, and the contract is full of incentives. Uh, last year, he couldn't get a contract in the offseason, but between the White Sox and Royals last year, he hit 17 home runs and knocked in 85. What was it John Sterling used to say when he would have hit a home run for the Yankees? He'd say, so the, the milkman the delivers. Milk man, yeah. <laughs> Milkman delivers. Patrick, I got to tell you this. My wife, she'll fix a fantastic dinner and then she'll say, Now, this isn't exactly good for your heart. Chow so. <laughs> <Shout> down. <laughs> yeah. Here's a second helping. Uh, don't yeah. forget to Have put the more. sour cream on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, other games this afternoon. Justin Verlander, really good again. The Astros beat the Angels 5 to 2. Now, mine's probably at home listening going, That's a hell of an idea. <laughs> Max Scherzer, really good again this afternoon. Washington leads the Giants 12-2. to He went six innings, struck out 10. He is out of I the I think he has now. the best stuff in baseball. That's pretty good. What do you mean, like 98-mile-an-hour fastball that but, moves? But and, then it goes boom. Yeah. 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 Plus his attitude. Plus, I love yeah, his attitude. Oh, he does. Yeah, he's a nasty ass. I love that he gets mad at How the How did bat. they not win the World Series? Their bullpen stinks. And him and Verlander and... Uh, oh, Detroit, yeah. Yeah, Detroit, that's what I mean. I love The thing I love about Scherzer is that when he gets mad at the batter for striking out. Yeah. He starts cussing. <laughs> it's great. I was saying the other day, by the way, that slap hitter from uh, Tampa, that Malik Smith. The outfielder, yeah. When yeah. he struck out and then slammed his bat, that's when I'd hit a guy in the neck. Next time I batted, you know, I don't care if he, I don't care if he hot dogs a home run. I don't care if he bunts. But if he strikes out and then acts like it should never happen, yeah. that's when I. That's when you neck. get one. That's yeah. when I yeah. drill him right in the forehead. Uh, there was you'll you'll see this online tomorrow. Uh, Detroit leads Pittsburgh right now eight to seven. But the Detroit's leadoff hitter is it Leonis Martin? Yeah, Leonis. Oh, Martin. I saw this. He first. He hit a ball off home plate. It came very quickly, directly into his crotch. Oh, really? Oh, right in the store. He, he like Straight he, up. Huh? Yeah. He looked like he was shot. But then guess what he did? Ran he, hit a, he hit a home run. Home run. Really? Two yeah. pitches later. After writhing yeah. on the ground for about two minutes going You know, I think Gardy gave many uh, needling in the uh, in the dugout. Dude. No, oh, Gardy wouldn't God. bring that up. No. NFL draft. As a guy that's done that, that does not feel yeah. good. And it's hard to do. Yeah. 
NFL draft coverage tomorrow night uh, on this station. Starts at 6. Mackie and Judd will be here in the studio anchoring things. And Matthew Collar and Courtney Crona will be out at Vikings headquarters. Vikings pick 30th in this year's draft. Uh, we do have. I'm a, predicting Mackie think they made a great choice, and Jed won't be so sure. <laughs> That's probably a good bet. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh my! That's a scolding hot <laughs> yes, sports take. That'll be in full out panic mode. Mm-hmm. For our neighbors uh, to the east, Ian Rappaport of NFL Media reports the Packers are one of teams plotting to trade up for the draft. They currently have quarterback. They want Bradley Chubb, I'll bet you. They currently have the number 14 pick. No word on who they might be targeting, but defensive additions are expected after they the They want that D. They want that bad, crazy pass rusher, Bradley Chubb. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there uh, tomorrow night. NFL that's my draft. hot take, because that's one guy I heard of. All right. <laughs> well, it's one Thank, more than me. <laughs> thanks, Johnny. Yep. Yes, By the uh, confidence that I tried to instill in earlier today, Miguel Sano <laughs> just hit a two-run homer. Uh, twins lead two to nothing. He must have been listening to us. He must have uh, on his head. I think that's what he listens to on his headset. Uh, Matthew Collar is with us. Defense, defense. What do we need on defense, sir? Well, I think you need a uh, cornerback because there are only three guys on the roster right now that actually have any NFL experience. Uh, probably a defensive tackle, too. Uh, you know, Sheldon Richardson looks to me like he's on a one-year deal that uh, is only going to be one year in Minnesota, that he wants to get a bunch of sacks and then uh, get a big contract next year. And then safety is kind of a sleeper position here, too. I think that you know, Rick Spielman mentioned they've, they're looking at five different positions at that number 30 spot, and safety would be the sneakiest of the sleepers, I think, but Andrew Sandejo is 30 years old. He's coming off of a pretty nasty concussion, and then he had to leave the NFC Championship game, and I I think he kind of peaked last year where he had his best season, and they might want to look down the road a little bit if uh, one of the better safeties drops to them. So I think those are the three biggest possibilities. If you put a stud back there with Harrison Smith, that would be uh, something, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that Sandejo has been very solid in what they ask him to do, but he isn't as dynamic as some other guys. And and one player to look at is Justin Reed, who's from Stanford, a guy who's played in the slot as a cornerback at times. He's played up in the line of scrimmage as a linebacker. He's played the deep safety, and he's a great athlete. And if they had someone that versatile, so you had two guys that could line up anywhere on any play as, as opposed to kind of how it is now, um, that would make them even more scary. And, and you could even see situations where Harrison Smith could play linebacker on a, on a dime package on a third down, and you could have – the other two safeties playing deep. I mean, it would give you a lot of options to draft one of those guys. Is Reed a roaming type of guy, or uh, what? What? Uh, what kind of what kind of skills does he have? Yeah, that's what people really like about him is not only his athleticism, his playmaking skill, but the fact that he really can line up just about anywhere. I mean, he kind of profiles like Harrison Smith in a lot of ways, and I, I think that. That's what teams are really looking for now for their safeties is not just one 
standard traditional free safety and one strong safety, but guys that can move up. And some teams are even looking at it like if you can run the ball against us, then go ahead and, and try it. But we're going to put guys even uh, up at the linebacker position sometimes who are safeties. I think Deion Buchanan comes to mind for this, uh, the guy from Arizona, yeah. where basically he's a safety. Mark Barron is the same way for L.A., he, this is a safety, but he's playing a linebacker position because they're trying to shut down the path, and they're not that worried if you average four and a half yards a carry. Matthew Kyler's with us, covers the Vikings for 1500ESPN.com. So uh, it was either today or uh, um, uh, Tuesday that uh, Phil and Judd were doing uh, some uh, you know, mock drafts. Uh, they've been rattling off some. And uh, they came up with some guy who uh, was uh, predicting that the Vikings might draft a linebacker at number 30. And I know it's not all about need, but uh, I can't imagine uh, that uh, as many plays as you use three linebackers, that that would be uh, anybody's plan at all. There is only one scenario that I could see that, and that would be if Anthony Barr had gone to them and said, not staying under any circumstances. I'm leaving after this year. That's it. I, I don't think that that's the case. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's pretty soon or right before training camp that we get an Anthony Barr contract extension. And the only other way that you could see a linebacker is if it was a pure pass rushing outside linebacker. Yeah. If it was somebody who was a, a freak and they just want to improve uh, the depth, uh, I know that they – uh, really liked what Philadelphia was able to do with their pass rushers rotating in and out. And Everson Griffin played a good portion of last year injured toward the second half of the season. I think they would have liked to have given him a break. So edge rusher is on my radar a bit here. But as far as a traditional type linebacker, I, I just can't see that. No, and uh, defensive tackle, do who is the backup now? We still have Steven around, right? Well, uh, Shamar Stephan signed with Oh, oh uh, he Seattle. left, huh? He's, yep. uh, Stephan so left. He's out. Okay. So there's only one guy. Uh, there's only one guy, and that's Jaleel Johnson. And uh, uh, the, uh, I mean, was, I, was he Iowa kid? Where was he from, Jaleel Johnson? Uh, yep, he was Iowa, and he was a pretty good pass rusher and showed up in the preseason and, and performed pretty well, put himself on the map. And I think that there's a possibility he mixes in a little bit more this year, but uh, three technique is definitely on my radar here for a replacement for Richardson and a guy that could um, rotate in. I mean, there's a few really good prospects, and one that's interesting to watch as the first round and second round play out is Maurice Hurst, who oh, yeah. is from Michigan. He, he's an unbelievable player. I mean, watching him, this guy is unblockable. He's undersized, though, which has drawn some criticism. And then he had the heart issue that forced him to leave the combine. Now he's supposedly been cleared for football activities and he participated in his pro day so he should be good to go but i think that probably scares some teams and so does the weight but undersized has never really concerned mike zimmer at that position especially when you have linval joseph so he's a guy that's definitely on my radar uh yeah yeah that takes care of the defense uh, i did see uh there was another uh mock draft they were talking about that had frank ragnow uh the uh the uh chaska kid uh, uh who's uh uh, had a great career in Arkansas and played center down there as a possibility. I am uh, really interested to see where he goes because there has been a lot of buzz around him since the combine. He was really good at the combine. He was pro football focused as number one center the last two years in a row. 
and his tape is really magnificent. I mean, even when he's taken on the best of the best, I was watching him yesterday against Alabama, and he played right guard in this game, and he was getting out there and, and hitting linebackers, and he plays with an edge, but he's also got athleticism. If the Vikings drafted him at 30, I think you should jump through the roof because you're getting one of the best offensive line prospects. He could even go higher now. Or, you know, there is always the possibility with the interior lineman that he drops. And one scenario I could see happening is the Vikings take someone at 30 and then wait to see how the middle of the second round plays out and even trade up like they did last year for Delvin Cook. But if the Vikings ended up with Frank Ragnow, they would be in great shape. Hey, Chan Hassan or Chaska, Chris? Chanhassen or Chaska? Uh, he's a Chanhassen kid. He or he went to Chanhassen High School. Okay, he's from Chan the Hassen Victoria Waconia area. Yeah, and uh, his dad, of course, passed away a couple of years ago uh, suddenly, and that was a big blow to him. And uh, and uh, Bielema was still coaching there, and they had uh, quite a bond uh, over that situation. So a, a good good backstory there on that kid. Supposed to be a really good kid. So. That would be good. Okay, so uh, we will talk to you Thursday from, uh, what are we calling this place now? I miss Winter Park because that was so easy. This is, uh, it is the TCO Performance Center. TCO Performance Center, or Taj Mazigi 2, as I call it. So uh, the, deuce. It. The, the, the Deuce. The Deuce. Yeah, we can call it The Deuce. <laughs> All right, Matthew, thanks for uh, your help this week, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. All right, sounds good. All right, uh, Matthew Collar, we shall return. Manny, you got a daily complaint? Okay. This look, Derek Rose <laughs> has done a nice job as a little scoring spark plug for the bench. <laughs> and he's contributed and he's done a lot better than I thought he would. But come on, people. You you don't have to go out of your way to try and justify like him being on the roster. Like this team. They're down three games to one because they can't shoot threes and they can't guard anybody. Yeah, you can't like, spend your money on him next like year. Like you, like just <sighs> relax. Like it's just, just they don't. He's not going to well, make or break the franchise. Plus, this was the same guy that was a disgrace to uh, being signed with a lot. The same people who are now cheering for him were saying right. it was true, brutal. What do you got, Reavers? Uh, my daily complaint is uh, Lance Lynn, who is graciously giving up that uh, two-run lead that he got to, uh, Already, in the top huh? of the first inning. Oh, well, well, Pat, it's a little early yet, but he's already allowed a run. Uh, there's two two, uh, two on and nobody else. Damn, so. we had those Yankees on a road. Right still. where we wanted yeah, them. Right where we wanted them. You stink, Lance Lynn. Uh, he'll be okay. Uh, we don't that's know That's the trouble. That. By the time all these guys are going to be okay, they'll be about 14 games under 500. But uh, <laughs> uh, here's my, my daily complaint is Kawhi Leonard. I want an answer. I just want to know how the San Antonio got away with this all year of not giving us an answer on why this guy is refusing to play. Right. Now the season's over, so if they'd have to be crazy to give him a huge max contract, wouldn't they? How could you trust him? He can't him? stay healthy. We'll do it. To, uh, we'll do it tomorrow.